think about the words and what they're saying, there's some deep doctrine that's in these songs um, that is so powerful and so challenging. And uh, I hope as you sing them, you don't just sing them as words, but you sing them as prayers in your heart to the Lord. And so thank you, Isaac, for thanking through those things. Even if we do mess up what goes on the screen, it still works out, okay? No, it was, uh, it's always a blessing, and uh, I, I am so thankful for that, um, for, for Isaac and his time that he puts into preparing the music and uh, working on those things, and obviously Tara playing with us as well. It's a tremendous blessing. Mark chapter number 14 is where we are this morning. I hope you find your way over to there. And we're going to dive into God's Word. It's good to be back home. We were able to go back and visit some of my family this week. And as we mentioned in Sunday school, it was a week. And if you didn't hear what happened this week... You should have came to Sunday school, all right? And so uh, next time, you'll be there. But uh, anyway, no, it was, a, it was a good time going back to visit family. But we are thankful to be home. I was talking with Isaac this morning. And he said, you know, it doesn't matter how nice of a hotel that you sleep in. There's nothing that compares to your own bed and your, your own pillow, okay? I think I'm getting to that age now where I have to take my pillow with me when I go places. <laughs> Otherwise, I can't get a, get a good night's sleep. I remember when I used to just be able to sleep anywhere like my children. And now I can't sleep if I don't have my pillow. And I do have a my pillow, and so it's it's just the way that it works. And so, um, but uh, yeah, interesting how that that is. The older that you get, what's it back? What's what's it like when you get really old, Ken? What's it what's it like? I mean, I'm just, no. I, <laughs> Ken's leaving here soon, so we got to get as many jabs in as we can before he goes. So, um, well, praise the Lord. Well, we're gonna dive into Mark chapter number fourteen this morning. Looking forward to what God has for us as we get started. Let's pray, and we'll ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll dive into the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to be able to open your word this morning. I ask now that you would speak to our hearts. And Father, you know that we have spent time in prayer asking you, Lord, to to meet in the service. As I was texting with pastors this morning, Lord, you encouraged my heart with so many that were praying for our services here. And God, I know that you desire to meet with us, to speak with us. And Father, as we look at this this passage and we think of the Lord's table and, and what it means and we talk about it, Father, I pray that we would learn some things that maybe we didn't know. We'd be reminded of things that we already knew and God, that we would be challenged, Father, to know you in a deeper way because of it. And God, I just pray now that you'd speak through me, give me your words, only those that you want me to say. And God, we're going to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've learned in life that I'm not very good at multitasking. Uh, you, you don't have to go very far. You can just ask Tressa, and she'll tell you this. Uh, she knows better than anybody. In fact, if I'm doing something, she will, and she wants to talk to me, she will tell me, will you just stop what you're doing and pay attention? Because she knows that I, as a man, cannot do two things at once, really, okay? Uh, the truth is this. They actually did a study a few years ago, and they found that nobody is actually great at multitasking. Uh, now, people can, can, can do things, two things at once. My wife is incredible uh, how she can take care of the co- kids and cook food and talk on the phone and, and whatever else she does. I mean, all at the same time. So all these things uh, simultaneously, it's, it's incredible. But nobody's actually great at doing multiple things at once. If you need any further proof, uh, just uh, think about this. If, you, if you've ever seen a person, or maybe you've been there, you're, you're talking on the phone and you're walking, right? I mean, these are two fairly simple tasks that you can do. And you're walking down the road and you're talking on the phone, and all of a sudden the conversation turns to a serious tone, right? Something that, that's very dire or something that's an emergency, something that really catches your attention. What do you do? 
Well, you stop walking, right? You start really paying attention. Maybe you start walking in a circle like this, just something that just doesn't take any thinking at all, uh, something that, that maybe takes very little thinking, and yet we stop doing that. Why? Because we're not good at multitasking. We have to focus. Well, here in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus was doing something with his disciples. He was focusing them in. Last time, last week, we saw as Jesus was there with his disciples there in the upper room and, and as he called out the one that was going to betray him, Judas. We know from the book of John that, that Jesus, whenever he spoke and, and, and did point that it was going to indeed be Judas, that Judas then got up and, and left. He, he walked out of the room. And so now these verses that we're going to come to in Mark chapter number 14, beginning in verse number 22, we will see that, that Jesus is now directing his attention to his disciples and what he's doing here is he really begins to bring their attention all into one place he really begins to captivate their attention their focus and so we see here the replacement feast that he brings up look with me if you would at verse number 22 says this and as they did eat jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it them and said take eat this is my body And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. A little over 1,500 years at this point, the children of Israel, every year on their calendar year, on the first month of the year, known as Nisan, they would have uh, on the 14th day, a day that they would celebrate the Passover. The Passover. Now, what was the Passover? Well, we remember all the way back in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel were there in, in Egypt. God sends Moses to go in and to command the people, command Pharaoh to let his people go, to let God's people go. And we know that uh, over and over again, plague after plague, Pharaoh rejects to let them go until the final plague, that tenth plague, whenever the Lord comes and says, all right, this is what's going to happen. Anybody that's a believer, anybody that's a follower of Christ, uh, a follower of God, he says they need to take an offering, a lamb. They need to sacrifice that lamb, and then they need to take the lamb's blood, and they need to paint it on the doorposts of the house. And he said, okay, at that evening, the, the angel will pass through, and if he sees the blood on the doorpost, he will pass over uh, the, the, those houses, and he will not take the life of the firstborn. And, and we would remember in, in Exodus, as that happened on that unbelievable night, that night of, of just great sorrow in many houses, and yet a night that was a picture of what was going to come one day. And so every year on that day, on the 14th of Nisan, they would celebrate that, that Passover by the, offering the sacrifice. They would take that family, family lamb, that lamb that, that was precious to them, that lamb that was pure, that lamb that was, was, was perfect. They would take that lamb and they would take the life of that lamb and then they would have a Passover feast in celebration of that time so many years ago. As we mentioned last week, that's exactly what was taking place here at Jerusalem at this time. On this night, Jesus and his disciples gathered together to observe the Passover. But what's amazing is on this night, the disciples didn't understand the significance of what was actually happening. Jesus switched things up. Normally, they would eat of the meat. They would drink of the vine. They, they would do this and it was kind of this ritual. They would sing throughout the night. They, they would do this celebration throughout the night. But on this night, Jesus did something completely different. He took of that bread, the Bible tells us, and he changed everything. 
Because Jesus explained this wasn't just another Passover feast. No, in fact, it was the final Passover feast. Jesus was going to change everything because this night there was going to be the replacement feast. Jesus took that bread from off of the table we saw there in verse number 22. And the Bible tells us that he blessed it and he broke it. It's almost a call to remembrance back to when Jesus fed the 5,000. As Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. Once again, Jesus here with his disciples, he takes that bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it. And he tells them here in verse number 22, Take, eat, this is my body. And if we look in verse number 23, 24, the Bible tells us that he then took the cup and it was to be a reminder of the blood that he was going to shed for their sins. No one on that night knew just how real and just how soon what Jesus said was going to take place and, and was going to come to pass. We have the, the advantage of hindsight. We can look back and, and we know that, that within hours now, Jesus was going to be taken and he was going to be nailed on a cross. But the disciples didn't know that. They didn't understand that. In fact, the Bible tells us that when Jesus sent Judas away, they thought that Jesus was sending him to go buy some things, to go purchase things for the meal. They had no idea that Judas was going to betray Christ. So on this night, Jesus here is doing these things, and they had no idea what was about to come to pass. Now, we understand from the Scriptures that there are two what we would call ordinances. Two things that, that as a church that we are supposed to follow. The first thing being baptism. Baptism is a picture of something that we do after we get saved, okay? Baptism, and, and, and this is something that a lot of churches are confused with. In fact, this last week we were talk, I was talking with someone and we were discussing some things about baptism and, and, and it, it being, whether it being for salvation or following salvation. Baptism, according to the scriptures, is something that takes place after salvation. It's an outward expression to all the people that are watching of an inward decision. I accepted Christ as my Savior, and now I am showing all of you this decision that I have made. We've talked about it before, but often through history, they wouldn't have a baptistry like we have in the back of our auditorium. Oftentimes, people, whenever they would accept Christ as their Savior, when they would get saved, what would happen? They would take them out, and they would find a river somewhere. They'd find a pond, a lake somewhere, a sea. They would take them out. And, and, and what would they do? In the midst of all of the world that was watching, they would baptize them. It was a picture to all the world that I am identifying with Christ. How so? Well, as they were standing in the water, it created a picture of the cross. As they would go under the water, it would be a picture of his death. And as they would come back up, it was a picture of his resurrection. So we say it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We find that in the book of Romans. And so that's the first ordinance that is given to the church that we're supposed to do. It's the first step of obedience for somebody that accepts Christ as Savior. They are to be baptized. It's a sign that says, listen, everybody, I have made this decision in my heart that I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But the second ordinance that we find in the Scripture is that of which we are looking at here today. The Lord's table. Now, it's demonstrated for us here, and, and there are a couple key components that we have to recognize. I know some of you are sitting here going, oh man, Kyle, we're getting into like the details, and this is hard, but, but stick with me. We're going somewhere, okay? There's a couple key components. First of all, it was for remembrance. For remembrance. 
The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So he's referring back to the situation that we're looking at here in the book of Mark. It says this, And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, The cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye is often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So it was a remembrance of Christ's broken body on the cross, the sacrifice that he made. But then the, the blood was a remembrance of the blood that was shed to cover our sins. The, it, was, it was done, and as we do it today, not, not today specifically, but, but uh, this, this time in history, what are we doing? We're remembering the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. It's for remembrance. Not only that's for representation. Representation. No one there on that night thought when Jesus said, this is my body that is broken for you, none of them sat there and said, oh yeah, that's, that's the literal body of Jesus. Okay, That's not what happened. They didn't look and when he said, this is my blood, uh, they, they didn't look and say, oh, that's the, real, that's the actual blood of Jesus. Uh, listen, it's not even possible for that to be the case because Christ had not been crucified yet. He died on the cross yet. So how in the world could that have become the actual body and bloody the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ when he was going to be crucified the next day? There are teachings, there are beliefs in some churches that would believe in something called transubstantiation that says that the bread becomes the literal body of Christ. The the cup becomes the literal blood of Christ. Listen, I don't know about you, but I am no cannibal, okay? I like meat, but not that kind, all right? That's not we don't we don't go do that, all right? No. What is it? It's a representation of what Christ did for us. It's for remembrance. It's for representation. And it was to be regularly observed. He says, Paul says, for as oft as you drink this cup, all right? As often as, as, as you do this. He didn't give a timeline of how often it was to be observed, only that it was supposed to be regularly taken care of and regularly observed. Here at Wild Baptist Church, we, we do the Lord's table about once a quarter. Once a quarter. We always do it in the afternoon service. And, and, and it's always a sweet time that we're able to sit and to reflect, to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But here we are as we're talking about this today. The key was not when it was done. The key was that it was not to be taken lightly. It was something that desired complete and total Focus. Jesus had changed everything on that that night when he was showing the disciples that he was to be the sacrificial lamb. He was showing that he was going to institute the replacement feast. Now the Lord's table. He goes on though in verse number 25 and we see that he gives a return reminder. And this is another part of the Lord's table that's key. And this is, this is vital for us to understand. Look at verse number 25. He says, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it in new in the kingdom of God. Now, we've already talked about how it was for remembrance, representation, regularly observed, but there was something else that Jesus says here that gave his disciples hope, even though they didn't know that he was giving them hope. That gives us hope today, even though we may not even have recognized it until this day. You see, from that night forward, Jesus made clear that he would not taste of the fruit of the vine again until the arrival of the kingdom. Can I tell you, the kingdom isn't here yet. The kingdom will not be here until 
the second coming of Christ. So what was he saying? He was giving them a promise. Not only that he would rise again, but one day he would set up his kingdom on this earth. We've looked as we've walked through the book of Mark and how his disciples didn't fully understand, his followers didn't understand. They, they believed that at that point in time, Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on the earth. That, that, that's what he was doing. He was going to come and overthrow the Roman government. He was going to overthrow the religious leaders. And he was going to set up his own kingdom on that earth at that time. That's why they were so dismayed. That's why they were so confused when they, he was crucified and he hung on the cross while he was taken and put in the grave. But they were all struck and thinking, what in the world is going on? It's because they didn't understand. And yet here, he was making a promise to them listen, I'm not going to drink any more of the fruit of the vine until one day when I come back and I set up my kingdom. On this night in the upper room, the disciples didn't understand what was about to happen. They didn't understand with the hope that is found in this simple, simple verse. Because in 24 hours, Jesus would be crucified and placed in a borrowed tomb. And then he would rise again three days later. And what a wonderful promise it is. And now he is in heaven just waiting for the day at the end of the tribulation period when he will come back and he will drink the fruit of the vine again in his new kingdom. When we take the Lord's table, I always take time to mention the fact that while we do look back at what Jesus did on the cross, we must look forward to the promise of what is to come. We already have mentioned the verse, but 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as oft as ye eat of the bread and drink of this cup, ye do show the Lord's death... Till he come. Till he comes back. Till he returns again. One of the wonderful parts about Jesus' table is we are reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming back one day. One day we will have the, the last Lord's table. You ever think about that? Just like this was the last Passover meal that should have been taken. Now the Jews today, they're still confused. They're still looking for their Messiah. And so they continue to celebrate the Passover. They, they don't understand that He's already come, that He's already arrived, that He was crucified on a cross, that He rose again, that He resurrected and went to heaven, and He's coming back again. But many of them one day will recognize that. No, we, we don't celebrate the Passover anymore. We're not going to uh, make a plan for, to, to, to all get together and say, hey, listen, uh, on this day, on this night, we're all going to gather together here at the church and we're going to uh, get the family lamb, you know, and bring it in here and we're going to kill it in front of everybody. And then we're all, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Why? Because we don't celebrate the Passover anymore. We're not looking back to Egypt. We're looking back to our deliverance when Christ died on the cross. That's why we celebrate the Lord's sable. Oh, it's a sweet thing. But listen, friend, we're not just looking back. We're reminded of the promise that, listen, not only did the Passover end on that night, but one day we will take the last Lord's table because Jesus will come back to this earth and we will be fellowshipping with Him. We will be in His presence forever. One day we will see Him face to face. We will praise Him in His presence. And yes, the Lord's table does cause us to look back, but out of it, it should cause us to look forward to the coming of the Lord. And with a clear view of what Christ did and what He is going to do, it should cause us to look within. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says this. In the same passage, he says this, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You see, 
Another part, not only should we look back at what Christ did on the cross and look forward to the day that He's going to return, but we should also, it should also cause us to look within and examine ourselves to make sure that we are thoroughly and truly right with God. This is why the Lord's table is such a special time. And if you've never been a part of that here at Wyoming Baptist Church, listen, you're missing out because I'm just telling you there's something so sweet about focusing our attention, focusing our mind, removing everything out of the way, and thank Thinking to what Christ has done for us and what He's going to do when He comes again and examining our own life and making sure that we are thoroughly right with God. Making sure there's nothing between my heart, my soul, and the Savior. That's what God desires for us to do. It ought to be a time of reflection. It ought to be a time of, of focusing our attention. And listen, friend, it ought to be a time that we pray like the psalmist did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. On this night, Jesus pointed to a replacement feast for the Passover. He gave a return reminder. He was coming again, even though they didn't fully grasp it or understand it. But he didn't stop there. He gave the fact that they rejoiced together. Look at verse number 26. This is, this is interesting, because we, we miss this. We just do. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. It's easy to, to look over that, that first part of verse number 26. It's easy for us to go from, from the table to the garden. It's easy for us to miss this part where they, they worshipped. This is a vital part of the Christian life. It's a vital part of, of, of the church. I doubt that any of the disciples that were there that night had singing lessons. I can't imagine that Peter, James, Andrew, or John had, had singing lessons. I, I imagine they probably sang like fishermen, alright? I've never heard a good singing fisherman, alright? may not have been a beautiful chorus, but they lifted up their voices in worship to God. The customary song that they would have sung would have been, it's known as the Hallel Chorus, it would have been Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and they would have actually sang those passages of Scripture, and they're beautiful passages, uh, passages that sing worshiping and praising God. They would have concluded that evening, and probably as they sang this hymn, it probably would have been Psalm chapter number 118, which is a wonderful, worshipful song. But can you see Jesus on that night? Don't forget, while the disciples had no idea what was about to come, and maybe they thought things was a little, little different, a little weird, because here they came to celebrate the Passover, and without even realizing that they were enjoying the Lord's table, the very first Lord's table, they probably were fairly lighthearted still. In fact, we know they were, because when they got to the garden, they fell asleep. But can you see Jesus there? Jesus knew what was about to happen. Jesus knew that they were going to go to the garden and that He was going to sweat profusely great drops of blood. Jesus knew the anguish that He was going to feel as He prayed and said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. He knew what was coming. Jesus knew that here soon that Judas was going to come and betray him with a kiss. Judas, Jesus knew that they were going to take him and they were going to carry him away. The same people, many of which who had stood there and had listened to him teach them. 
Jesus knew that he was going to be taken, the beard was going to be ripped from his face, that, that his, a crown of thorns was going to be placed onto his head and, and pounded into his skull. Je- Jesus knew that, that he was going to be beaten beyond recognition. He knew that the cat of nine tails was going to whip across his back, that the flesh was going to be pulled, that the Bible tells us that his bones were going to look upon him. Jesus knew that he was going to be taken and, and they were going to take that splintery cross and they were going to put it on that torn back and he he was going to have to carry that cross all the way up the hill of, to Golgotha. Je- Jesus knew that when he got there, that he was going to lay down himself and he was going to put his hands and stretch them out. And they were going to take those nails, much like the railroad spikes, and they were going to pound them into his hands and into his feet. Jesus knew that they were going to take that cross and set it into that post. And when they do, his, his, his ligaments and his bones... We're going to uh, separate and become detached. Why? Because of the, the strain and the pressure. Jesus knew that for every breath that he was going to take on that cross, that he was going to have to pull himself up on those nails just to take a breath, just so he could look and he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus knew he was going to bear the weight of the sin of the world and the Father was going to turn his face away from him. Jesus knew that he was going to cry out. And he was going to say, it is finished. And he was going to give up the ghost. Jesus knew everything that was about to come. And yet the Bible tells us that he still sang. He still sang. You know, I I think we are a, a little confused with what singing and what place that it has in the church and in our lives. I mean, think about it. Do you ever truly sing and praise to God? I mean, we, we just had a time of worship here in our service, and, 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 and the singing that we do, we do it intentionally. And, and I, as I mentioned, Isaac thinks through what songs we are going to sing, and, and oftentimes weaves them together into a beautiful tapestry that, that really sets our minds into focus of what we're about to hear from the Word of God. And as we think about those things, and as we sing, do we just say words, or are we really worshiping? Are we really praising God? Do you sing out to the Lord? I mean, just think about it. This is, I mean, we're just, we're just talking here now, but it's interesting. Most people are more concerned about how they sing and what someone thinks about how they sing than they are about actually singing to God. And can I tell you, we don't understand what worship truly is. You're missing the point. You're you're missing it. You're you're, you're not understanding what worshiping God is. You're not understanding what praising God really is all about. If you think it's just saying some words and getting through that part of the service so we can get to this part of the service so then we can go and we can eat the food afterwards. Listen, if you're just checking off boxes in the church service, you are missing what it should be all about. We've become so stuffy in our churches. And listen, I'm just, let's just be real. I mean, it, it's easy for us to, to become that way even here at Whitehall Baptist Church where we're so concerned with going through the rituals oh, that we have no flexibility. And, and it's, just, it's just going through the motions. It's not bad whenever a song, the verses get mixed up a little bit and it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's good to get out of our box. It's good to feel uncomfortable. And it's good to be real with God. 
the youth group that I grew up in, we used to sing, we'd sing a lot of different songs and things in our youth group, but there was one in particular as I was thinking about this last night, and it's based on Psalm chapter number 18. And we would sing this song, and in and, and Psalm chapter number 18, verse number 3, it says this, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. And we would sing this song, it'd go like this, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies, I will call upon the Lord. And then we would jump forward a couple of verses to Psalm chapter number 18, verse number 46. Now listen, I actually, just pure transparency, I didn't know these were actually in the Bible, we just sang the songs, okay? But, but I, I, listen, now I know they're in the Bible, and this is so cool. We would jump forward, and we would sing verse number 46. It says this, the Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. And we would sing the song. Now listen, this is going to throw some of you for a loop. Not only would we sing, but we would clap our hands, okay? I know, some of you are like, oh, oh no, we're getting a little crazy in here, okay? Listen, I mean, that's what we would do, okay? I mean, that's what we would do. We'd say, and, and listen, and this, okay, this is, if, if, you're, if you're feeling uncomfortable now when we're talking about clapping hands, there was a part that we would say, woo, okay? And I'm just telling you, we would do that, and, and everybody would do it, and it was exciting, and, 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 and if you didn't do it, you were uncomfortable, okay? That's the way that it worked. And, and so we'd sing this song, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies, I will call upon the Lord. And then we say this, the Lord liveth, woo, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, woo, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. And we're going to lose half the congregation after this week, but that's all right. Listen, what am I getting at? I'm saying this, listen, it didn't matter what anybody thought. In fact, if you didn't do it, you weren't cool, okay? But I'll tell you this, uh, the one thing that I know about teenagers, I know a a few things about them, but they are emotional creatures, Okay? And sometimes it's a real bad thing, but sometimes it's a real good thing. I don't know what happens. It's like we turn like, I think it happens at like 17. Because you, you turn about 17 years old and all of a sudden you start caring about what the adults think about you. Because you're like, I'm going to be one of you and so I have to start you know, maturing a little bit. And, and what happens? We, we, just, we just change and, and no longer do we say, woo! We just sit over there and we're like, oh, those, that's cute. And all of a sudden, it's like we become so into ourselves. And, we're, and, and listen, we give teenagers a hard time about thinking about what everybody thinks about us. When the truth is, is we're the biggest posers of all, okay? Uh, the adults are the worst of anybody. They're, we're so worried about everybody's going to think about it. I mean, after the service today, Tress is going to be like, Kyle, I can't believe you did. And I mean, listen, but it's okay. She's not really going to do that. She's, she's going to be like, man, I wanted to sing too. Anyway, what am I saying? I'm saying it's good to worship the Lord. And sometimes we get in our heads that the only time that we worship God is when things are good. But Jesus gives us an example and shows us that even when we know that things are going to get far worse, we still should worship the Lord. It's so easy to get stuck in this rut and stop worshiping God. Friend, can I just tell you, it doesn't matter if your voice sounds like a songbird or not. 
It's all right if you think it makes you look funny. You can sing when life is hard. You can sing when worries come. You can sing when you're in a crowd. And listen, you can sing when you're by yourself. I can tell you this, some of the sweetest times of fellowship and just ministering to my heart that I've experienced is when it's just me and God and I'm driving down the road and I'm singing and praise to Him and He's just speaking to me. Oh, it's sweet. And if you haven't experienced that before, then I just, I just tell you, I don't think you know what real worship is. Because I think you think that worship is coming in and sitting in a seat, folding our hands just right, and smiling when the preacher preaches, and laughing when he tells kind of a funny joke, and, and, and just kind of going through, the, and, and that's what we think worship is. But worship is so much more. This is going to throw the Baptist world into, I mean, the people that are watching online, they're going to, it's just going to lose them. David danced before the Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to dance for you up here, okay? But, but I'm just saying, worship doesn't look exactly how we think that it should. And when we put everything into a box and we think it's got to look just like this, we're missing it. So thankful that, that Isaac has stepped in and, and had been willing to help introduce some new songs. And Tara's been helping, helping with introducing some new songs and, and, and some, some things and, and singing songs maybe that we've sang for years and changing the way that we sing them just a little bit. Why? So that it changes our mind from just going through the motion to actually thinking about what we're singing about, what we're worshiping about, actually paying attention to what's going on and truly worshiping God instead of just doing the same things and going through the motions. Worshiping. Our churches so many times grow dry and emotionless because we refuse to worship the Lord. And yet here with Jesus and His disciples, He was leading them in the midst of what was about to come and rejoicing together. Oh, man. We need to get a grasp on what rejoicing is really all about. My pastor growing up, he, he, would, he, he knew how to worship the Lord, and he would sing, and he'd preach. And I, uh, but I'll never forget one time, and I was just a teenager, it, it drastically impacted me. We had a church softball team. And, uh, and so they would, they'd play softball, and, and he played shortstop. And he was out there, and I'll never forget that night he was playing, and somebody hit a ground ball, and it was rolling, going towards him, and he went to field the ball, and when he did, it hit a rock or hit something. It just took a bounce. Sometimes if you ever played baseball, sometimes the ball just gets a wild hair and just takes a bounce, right? And it took a bounce, and he went down, did everything just right, but it bounced up over his hand and struck him right in the throat. And he had to go to the emergency room, and his vocal cords were damaged. In fact, they were so damaged that they told him, they said, Kevin, we don't know if you'll ever be able to speak again. For a preacher, I, I mean, holy smokes. So they told him, they said, for these first three months, you are not allowed to say a word, not allowed to make a sound, nothing. Nothing can come out of your mouth. For three months, I watched as my pastor would sit on the front row of our church with a marker board. 
just a little one and a pen or a, a marker. And we'd be singing or, or somebody would be preaching and he'd, you'd, he's writing, writing on there real quick and, and he's holding it up like this and amen, you know. Praise God. Glory. I mean, it just... And sometimes he'd just, sit, he'd just stand there and you'd just watch him and tears would just run down his face and his cheeks because he couldn't sing. Oh man, I'll never forget the day when he stood up, when he walked up behind that pulpit and after three months, in a quiet voice, he spoke and he just praised God. You know, I wonder... If something happened to you and your vocal cords are shot and, and you can't speak, you can't audibly praise God, I wonder if, if anybody would even notice. Some of the, the, the men in this room are like, yeah, my, wife, my house would be a lot quieter, okay? You know? And, uh, yeah, and uh, we, we won't talk about that, but no. But I wonder, I wonder if we would notice any difference in the church house. I mean, the singing would happen just like normal, but you wouldn't be able to, and we really wouldn't miss a beat. Because you don't worship. I mean, would your, would your family notice, notice that you don't worship? Or would it just be kind of the same thing, the way that things have always been? We need to learn to worship. No matter our circumstances, no matter what we may face, no matter what we may go through, we need to learn how to truly worship God. And listen, I know it may seem strange at first to sing out whenever we're singing or to say amen in a service or praise God or raise your hand. I mean, listen, it may seem awkward at first to clap your hands in a service, whenever the song is singing, where we're singing a song or something, it may feel that way at first, but I tell you, it's okay. It's okay. Because maybe that's just the thing that you need to do to worship God. To praise Him. Listen, I'm not saying that we need to do things to draw attention to ourselves. I understand that there are certain times where things, uh, where some, some churches have taken it and twisted it to a point where it's just chaotic. And, and it gets to the point where, where it is all about, look at me and what I'm doing. And oh, I hear them yell, well, listen to me, yell louder. You know, I understand that that happens. But listen, I'm just going to tell you, here at Whitehall Baptist Church, we don't have that problem, okay? I'm saying we've got to get out of our comfort zone. And learn to truly worship God. You know what the Lord's table is? It's an opportunity to focus our attention on the Lord. Completely. You know what happens when we truly focus our attention on the Lord and what He's done and the fact that He's going to come back one day? You know what happens? It's amazing. We want to worship Him. And it may not look exactly the way that it's always been or the way that you think that it's always supposed to be. But suddenly there's a freedom to worship God. And it's between not me and me. Through, I mean, we don't have like a priesthood worship service. You don't worship through Isaac to the Lord, okay? It's not how this works. 
We worship God. And I hope that, man, you'll catch it. Because it will change your life when you learn to truly worship the Lord. Friend, if you haven't been around the Lord's table before, I'd be marking my calendar for the next opportunity when we're going to do it. You say, when is it? I have no idea, but I know it's going to be coming at the first of the new year. We always do it at the start of the year. We'll be having a sweet Lord's table service, and I hope, man, I'd be marking it saying, man, I'm not going to miss that. Oh, it's a sweet time to reflect on what Christ did for me. To be reminded that he's coming again. And maybe this morning, you just need to ask the Lord to make you uncomfortable so that you can truly learn to worship God. In the midst of your, 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 your chaos of life, in the midst of everything that may be coming on in your life, and what may happen tomorrow or next week or the next month or next year or what happened this past week, learning to just say, God, I choose to worship you regardless of what anybody else thinks, what anybody else says. God, I worship you. Dry religion needs to die. And we need to wake up and have a fresh, real relationship with God. And this is incredible because when we truly worship God, here's what happens. Psalm 34, verse number 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I, don't, I can't explain it, but I can tell you this. It's amazing how when just one, two people just suddenly just say, man, I just, I'm just praising God. I know so-and-so back here, they may think I'm crazy, but that's not what it is. I, this is me, and this is the Lord. I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm going to sing to Him, praise you. I mean, I'm just going to praise Him. And all of a sudden, somebody else says, man, I want that. I want to praise God. I want to have that relationship. I want to know Him on that level. I want to have that sweet relationship with Him. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to minister to somebody else's heart. And all of a sudden... We start magnifying the Lord and exalting His name together. And then visitors come in and they say, man, that church is weird. (laughs) But they got something I don't have. Nobody wants to get on a train that's not going anywhere. But when you can see, man, God's working. It's evident. Everything changes. I do believe the greatest days for Whitehall Baptist Church are yet in front of us. And I believe it's going to be based in two things. I believe it's going to be based in prayer. We'll talk more about that in the days ahead. I believe it's going to be based in prayer. And it's going to be based in worship. Real worship for the Lord. I hope today, if you don't have a real worship relationship with God, that you'll pray and just say, God, help me to have that with you. Let's pray together. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you give me to be able to open your word and God to be able to look at the scriptures. And as we reflect on this, this unique night in your earthly life, the life of your disciples, I pray, God, that we would see ourselves there. That, God, you would stir us when it comes to this matter of true worship before you. God, that we reflect back on, on what you did for us and the fact that you're coming again and God, that it would cause us to truly worship you. 
Stop being so concerned with what everybody's doing, what everybody thinks, and God, just to have that sweet, sweet relationship worshiping you. I pray, God, that each person in this room will be able to experience that even today. With heads bowed and with eyes closed today, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I'd encourage you, why don't you just respond to the Lord today? Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you just need to worship Him. Whatever it is, why don't you just let the Holy Spirit have control of your life? It's amazing when we take our eyes off of ourselves and on each, off of each other and we put them on the Lord. How our worship changed so drastically. I hope we'll learn to do that today. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, the music's going to play. We're going to have a time of invitation. You respond to the Lord how He speaks to you. Let's stand together as the music plays and you respond to Him. <laughs>